internet, the answer's a number, and that's the job. My name is Matthew Kroll. And there's a typo on page three. My name is Shahir Dowd. And this is the only podcast about movies, specifically the film Worth. Was it worth it? I, I think <laughs> Let me so. flip it and reverse it. Are we doing yeah, that joke again? I don't how know. How many it's... times? I feel like I've done that joke nine times this week about various things. I don't understand why. <laughs> Missy Elliott is forever, and that's why. There's also like this repeated motif with this film, which is that every review of this film basically at some point will say, is this movie worth your time? Is it worth your time? And I'm like, is everyone going to do it? And then here we are. We did it right off the bat. <laughs> we did it. We're nothing but the same the same as all of the other interdimensional shows or reviews about movies because there obviously can only be one in the one that you, dear listener, are listening in right now. And so, Matt, uh, we haven't uh, talked to each other in a couple of weeks now. Last week uh, was a very special episode. You had uh, uh, internet extraordinaire uh, YouTuber Patrick Willems on the show with uh, Shang-Chi. Now, I haven't listened to the episode, but for anyone who hasn't listened to the episode yet and has seen the movie, was it worth it? <laughs> was was Shang, Shang Shang Chi worth it? Was Shang Chi worth it? Tell yes. me, tell me, tell me the short answer. Should I uh, risk the, my life to go to the movie theater? To uh, see it? No, I mean you shouldn't <laughs> risk your life for any film. Um, but I will say it was the most enjoyable new entry in a while. It fe- it actually felt like a new beginning. Granted, please don't get me wrong. It's still the Marvel formula. It's not going to change that. But like. It did all the things that good Marvel movies do right, mm-hmm. uh, plus Aquafina. So it's instantly kind of better <laughs> in that regard. And it felt like a nice start as opposed to like, I mean, Far From Home, then Black Widow, uh, and the shows all are nice. Yeah. And they're good and I like them, but it never felt like, oh, it, this is it restarting after Endgame. And this was kind of my first one where it just felt kind of kind of like a new beginning. And um, uh, how is Tony Leong? Oh, Ama- it's Small his movie, right? It's his movie. It's, it's his in movie. That, it, that's one of this is without a spoiler. Yeah. Uh, th- it might as well be his character's film. Like right. it's about him, right? And that that it's like I'm so glad they didn't waste him. We talked right. about that a bunch in the episode. Yeah, Check out that episode. He's, uh, he's amazing. Yeah. I actually just bought the Wong Kar Wai box set, so I'm really looking forward to diving back yeah, into yeah, yeah. Days of Being Wild uh, and in the mood for love at some point. Uh, yeah, so no, I, I'm interested in seeing the. I, I got to be honest with you though, it's that thing which is that now that I there's no immediate necessity to go see the movie. I'm like, you know, I, I feel like once the the Shang Chi wave has passed, I will be like, oh yeah, there's that movie. Uh, maybe you'll watch it on Disney Plus for free ish. Yeah, and then one day I good. might I might check this out and hopefully it'll be fun and that'll be that. I really do. Th- I will say this, this is the last thing we should talk about it because we literally spent two hours talking about Shang-Chi on the last episode. Uh, Patrick has a lot of the same points about the MCU that you do. Oh, yeah. Uh, and we had a breakthrough uh, with me as well, but I'm not even going to spoil it. You have to oh, listen to the episode. I'm, I'm very curious. Well, that's going to be tricky because I have to listen to it with like spoilers cut out. So maybe you can send me a special edit of it or I, anyone could request you a special edit. I want to make as much work as possible for of Matt course, as possible. Of course, I'm not going to do it. Uh, <laughs> the, although we were, we do have time codes on the thing for um for when spoilers hit so that is that is i can give you up to that point all right well uh email us in for that special request or anything you want matt to do in his spare time uh yeah. which is none at only at gmail.com or hit us up on twitter at only movie pod um i did uh, uh reach out to some people for requests for this week's movie um and we do have a few interesting movies in that request pile but to be honest with you i have just started doing this thing which is that I uh, I think I used to do this thing, which is that I, I used to beat myself up if I, di- if I couldn't finish a movie in one sitting. 
If okay. I, if I, you've if, mentioned that. You've yeah, mentioned that before. Like I, I would just get annoyed at myself, and I would, I, I would refuse to sit and watch a movie if I knew I wasn't going to be able to finish it. Um, but I'm so busy these days, and like I'm just, you know, like the time that I can relax and maybe throw something on is like eleven thirty or midnight, sure. and I've just gotten to the stage where I'm just like, you know what? I'm good with just watching half a movie and picking <laughs> it back up the next night or another <laughs> night. And so now I kind of have like three or four movies on the go. I feel like I'm cheating on movies these days. Mm. Um, but Worth was one that came up, which I actually did watch snippets of the trailer for, and was interested to see it because it just from the, on a just on a very fundamental level, it did feel like Spotlight. 2.0 in terms of the Michael Keaton Stanley Tucci reunion and it sure. also felt like uh, you know the kind of story that Spotlight was uh, involved in I know that was a, a hot topic uh, episode for us hot topic um, but I was I was keen to check it out and then it, it there was just this interesting thing which is that uh, I, I I made a note about Worth. I, I saw the trailer probably a month or two ago. And I, I, by the way, I felt I, th- I believe they filmed this in uh, Astoria because I remember walking past signs uh, which had it listed up as a, as a um, something that was being filmed in our local there was neighborhood. A few, there was a few parts yeah. that um, that I recognized sort of places from, which is interesting. Also, side note, so much filming goes on in Astoria, oh, and I crazy. love to see it. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's funny. My barber, uh, I go to Val's Barbershop. Okay. Uh, and they, uh, the day, the next day after I got a haircut there, he was telling me that Law & Order was like <laughs> renting out his place to like make it to do a scene all day Yeah. Uh, where they turn his barbershop into the front for an underground casino. Nice. And I was like, yeah, Val, get it. <laughs> Go uh, get, get that day rate. I also, now you have a plan for what you could do with your place should the uh, barbershop does not work out. Yeah, Make it I an mean, underground you, casino. He could like yeah. really, you know, art. Lim- I don't think life. they shot the casino part. <laughs> uh, I haven't. I haven't been back, so I don't know how it went. I hope. I hope they were kind to his shop. It's a very lovely shop. But this was a film that played at Sundance uh, in 2020, I believe, and then had a very uh, low rollout in terms of uh, its its uh, its its advertising on Netflix. Um, yeah. it, it, was, it was hard to find. I hadn't even realized it came out. Uh, to be honest with you, and I was like just scrolling through Netflix, and there it was, and I was like, hey, there's that movie. I kind of was interested in checking out i know it's always the algorithm like it's different for everyone so yeah. it's not like whatever but like i had to type the whole word i thought like a, a w-o and but that just filled with other garbage and i was like oh we're doing the whole thing okay. i mean but the, you know it's crazy to think right now the uh the palm door winning film from Khan is currently available on amazon streaming right now uh that's uh leo carax's film annette and then the uh winner of last year's sundance or this year's sundance uh uh grand jury prize uh coda is available on apple stream as well and these movies are just you know like very quickly put out and I'm not to say that they don't get the advertising but I do recall when Lulu Wang did The Farewell with Mm -hmm. A24 uh, I believe out of Sundance or it might have been out of Cannes that that film came out you know like did well in uh, and the sale happened you know she really made a point that she fought for theatrical um, a, a theatrical release of that movie as opposed to a direct streaming and I can kind of see why she fought for it now or at least in hindsight that was a really smart move because that propelled that movie into an Oscar frontrunner people went and saw it they had to make it a, you know you had to make time to go and see it mm-hmm. whereas with Annette and Coda, which are movies that I was very excited about, um, I still have not sort of scheduled the time to see it at this point. Sure. Um, so, and, you know, Worth just kind of popped up and I was like, oh, cool, I'll check that out right now. Um, as opposed to like really, I guess maybe the, the phrase I'm looking for is appointment viewing, where I'd really like put time aside to do this movie. Yeah. Uh, I, and I, th- I guess that's an interesting, interesting place for movies like this, which are, 
um, you know, award winners do well at the festivals, you know, typically get bought for high sums of money, propel young filmmakers into the spotlight, but are uh, spotlight, but are not receiving the same kind of um uh attention that they once were now obviously the pandemic has something to do with that but i do I, I was reading an interview with paul schrader this week which i think is i'll come to in a moment uh which maybe highlighted some of what i think uh some of why i think this is happening but it'll be a little bit cynical um matt had you heard of this movie before did you know much about it were you interested in in this topic? no i had not I, I think i probably gleaned a trailer at one point mm-hmm. um though i don't remember when it might have you know what it probably was it was probably whenever netflix acquired it mm-hmm. um and then they probably had there was probably a trailer somewhere that i saw for it um it didn't uh, it, this is one of those movies that i i knowing so little about it i i it is helpful to me, I guess. Like I didn't even have any idea that it was worth or what, 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 like what worth was about was about nine eleven. I had no idea it was about valuing a human being's life monetarily. Like I was just like, I and I, I kind of like that they moved away from the original title, which is "What is Life Worth?" Right, because because <laughs> that's a mouthful. That, <laughs> yeah, that's a mouthful, and I don't know. I feel like that gives you. When you ask a question in your title, someone already has an answer in their head, and that can that can uh, flavor opinion. Whereas just a word or a phrase that's not posed as something you need to answer is a bit more ubiquitous, and you can kind of come into it with your with no preconceived notions, which I did. And um, yeah, I knew really nothing about this movie. I knew I liked the all the actors in it. That yeah. was pretty much what I was what was going through my head. Uh, Always nice to see Michael Keaton. Of course, Stanley Tucci is... Stanley Tucci is quickly becoming... <laughs> he is one of my favorite actors. He's getting up there, man. Like, I I just... He's just so good in absolutely everything. And, of course, then uh, Amy Ryan, I love seeing uh, whenever she's around. So, yeah, this 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 was, uh, this was... This was a nice surprise. And I totally get the tertiary spotlight vibe. Mm-hmm. But I didn't like have as as uh, hostile of a of a mood toward this movie. Um, How do you mean? Well, well, yeah, I hate Spotlight. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I I think that's because I I have a thing with stories written about writers writing. Like I th- we've talked about this a million times. We don't have to do it again. Yeah. Uh, while this has similar procedural problems that I I don't often enjoy in film, I actually found a lot of the performance and uh, kind of the, I I I don't know like just sort of this was an aspect of the nine eleven tragedy that I had never thought of mm. before. Yeah. And there's something I've been thinking a lot lately, especially in the pandemic, <laughs> uh, about like. We all just sort of move through our lives until something absolutely terrible happens to each of us or someone we know, right? And there's nothing wrong with that. Right. But the systems in place, uh, as unfair as many of them are, are still kind of invisible unless it's affecting you or yours. Right. And and I knew this commission happened. Heck, I, I've known people that have worked at the later, at the to the 2011 commission. Hmm. Um, but I never thought of the nitty, I was like, oh, they, they negotiate payouts. Like that was it. But I never thought like, ah, there's a formula or, ah, like this is how these people had to do it with the bureaucracy or the politics behind it. And of course there are, but this was just such a, 
interesting glimpse, albeit a dramatized one, behind the curtain of of the reaction to this tragedy on a numerical scale. Right. That I uh, I hadn't previously thought about. So I think that actually bought in a lot. Just the the, the topic matter alone, uh, kind of in the place, the day and age that we are now, really sort of struck home about like, oh yeah, like all this backwards nonsense shit to keep the country moving exists yeah um and oh shit this sucks <laughs> um but no i i actually i mean my, my my beginning thoughts of this film are like i i enjoyed it more than i expected to okay well can you tell us what it's about uh given that we haven't actually even <laughs> defined it well i can't tell you what it's about here but you know what i can do you can uh, make it up go ahead I, i'm gonna make it up <laughs> by reading it off the internet movie database all right an attorney in Washington, D.C. battles against cynicism, bureaucracy, and politics to help the victims of 9 11. Hmm. I mean, hmm. in the third act. Perhaps. Well, yeah. actually, no, I don't know. That might be, that's unfair, possibly. Yeah. Um, um, I'm, not, I'm not buying that uh, synopsis 100%, yeah. but, uh, you know, yeah. whatever. I'm not, I'm not here to argue with the Internet Movie Database. Um, the one person that is the Internet Movie Database. Come at us, bro. <laughs> you, you have this conspiracy theory about the Internet Movie it Database, is. which has really got to uh, play itself out in a long-form series, I think, at some point, where you try to find that person and figure out what it is they do. One day... <laughs> The Internet Movie Database will email us yeah. and confirm that I am correct and there is one human being <laughs> or robotic algorithm behind writing all of the short synopsises on the Internet Movie Database. Mr. Miss or Mrs. Uh, Incident Movie Database, please, please email us on at onlymoviepodcast at gmail.com. Um, yeah, this was a movie I was excited to, to see, but I, I, in the sense that I was... I was just enjoying the idea and it's not a new idea and it's nothing spectacular about it about sitting up sitting down to watch a grown-up movie about a difficult <laughs> subject i i just i was like there's something about me that goes when was the last time i did like you know like every movie i've been watching recently has to have some kind of hook to it that, that yeah. is like extraordinary and i was like no i like the idea just on a fundamental principle level to sit and watch a movie that is grown up about, you know, human beings interacting with each other. I'm, I'm going down our list. I'm going down the <laughs> list of films that we've done in the past about human. The closest one. The cl and I don't even know if this is true. It's about a human being would be inside would be Bo Burnham. Right, the that, closest one, and that's 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 stretching credulity. Yeah, that is um, quite. A, that's quite. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure there's got to be something else. Oh, another round. Another round. And, yeah, and yeah. the father. But yeah. that's still back in April. Yeah. So, like, everything else is has a bit of otherworldliness <laughs> or... Something extraordinary, or right? hyper-stylized or whimsy or something. Yeah. Um, I also really enjoyed uh, Sarah Kalinja, the director's previous film, uh, A Kindergarten Teacher. That was one of... Uh, I think I... I hope I mentioned it in our best of list uh, I last believe you, year. I remember you, you mentioned it. Yeah, as, as probably one of my favorite movies that uh, we didn't review. Uh, it was... Now it is a remake of an Israeli film, uh, but it uh, and I have not seen the Israeli, uh, the original Israeli film. But the the remake is pretty amazing in terms of like edge of your seat kind of drama uh, in terms of and and like following a person really 
uh, pushing the audience in terms of what we believe is to, is true and what we believe is right for a human being to do. So I really, really was uh, impressed by that movie. Uh, and so when I heard she was doing a movie with uh, Michael Keaton, Stanley Tucci, I was like, yeah, I'm there. Um, I will say, uh, again, I fundamentally enjoyed the idea of sitting down to watch a grown-up movie. Fundamentally enjoyed the experience of watching this movie had a lot of issues with what this movie was and what this movie was essentially trying to say. Not in a way that made me go, I dislike the movie, but Mm. I dislike, I, I think fundamentally the question underneath all of this is kind of asked by perhaps Michael Keaton, Michael Keaton's character, Ken, um, uh, Ken Feinberg, right at the very beginning of the movie, which is that we are not here to ask a, uh, answer a philosophical question, but a practical one. And to me, the thing that was most interesting about this was the philosophical question, which is how much is a human life worth? And I think the film wrestles with that question to an extent, but then oddly turns, I wouldn't say jingoistic, but somewhat triumphant in the success of, of the execution of the victim's compensation plan. Sure. And and I wasn't sure exactly that that was a success. Like like that that to me didn't answer the question of worth, and I wasn't exactly sure if 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 the sort of the triumph of Ken Feinberg's success of executing the plan that he had set out in place and learning something about himself along the way, um, I wasn't exactly sure that that was the thing that got me into this movie. No, and so- I think the I think it was personally it was the performance is not exactly where the characters landed or ended up. Yeah. Like that kind of got me on board enough with it. Well, like- uh, to me the question really was was how much is a human life worth? And and but I I don't think that's what the movie's even asking to be perfectly honest. I mean it kind of sets it up pretty clearly. It's 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 sort of it, it's positing how do you put it? It's about one man deciding to not have a clear answer for a terrible problem, despite the fact that is his job. The, yeah, look, the, the the philosophical question of what is a human life worth is not one that it could easily be answered by a movie, and it's not it's not designed to be answered by a movie. But I think there's a point at which this film turns away from that question and becomes about the execution of the victim's compensation plan. And, you know, like it really becomes this sort of ticking clock of can we get 80% of the people to sign up? And the dumbest thing is, and I don't know if this is how history actually played out or not, or, you know, any of that stuff. In fact, the second the second this started and it, in small white text came up, it said based on a true story, I went audibly, yeah. alone in my apartment, I went, oh, no. <laughs> like, I was like, I was like, oh, now I got to deal with it. Like, I don't know. Like, it was just like, a, I, then it's always like, I always go back to the question like, ah, what is this movie trying to do with this story? It, yeah. You know, da 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 and, um, and, and I think the problem is, the, and again, it's not a problem. It, it's, there's nothing wrong with the execution of this movie. It's very well made. It's very well crafted. I really did enjoy sitting down to watch it. I think from a political and philosophical point of view, I think the question of what is a human life worth is a really fascinating question. And 
Uh, I, I read a couple of articles this week. Um, the, the, the one that I really enjoyed reading was a uh, article from the Journal of Ethics from 1978 uh, by Michael D. Bales on the price of life. Wow. And um, uh, this article basically uh, points to this idea that uh, philosopher Immanuel Kant um, uh, had this idea that the human, hum, human beings have a dignity but not a price. And by price, he did not mean merely a monetary value but an equivalence. Whatever has a price can be replaced by something else as its equivalence. Thus, the claim that human lives are priceless is not merely that no monetary value can ethically be placed upon them, but no exchange of other goods can be placed upon them. So essentially, you know, what Kant was saying, and, and this is interesting because Michael, uh, Michael D. Bales kind of refutes this claim or, or suggests that this is not actually how societies work, was that uh, human beings have dignity and are irreplaceable. And to suggest otherwise devalues what makes us human beings. And you know what? Oh wow. And, okay. And and what what Bayless is actually arguing is sort of the counteract, which is probably closer to what this movie in a way sits out to to discuss, which is that that's not really how society works, which is that we put prices on human life at all times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the way we life functions uh, is entirely based upon the uneven scale by which we value one person's life over another person's life. Here's the dark truth. <laughs> you're going to solve Kant's riddle? According to Matthew Kroll, mm-hmm. uh, opinions are my own. Yeah. Um, Zoe's making me say this. Uh, the the value only exists due to outside factors. Step one. Step two. Money is made up anyway. It is. Our economy is based on a bunch of hunches and wishwashy guesswork. Mm. Like it's 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 all fake. But our collective agreeing with one another, giving it value and meaning and purpose, that is what constitutes what something is worth. Something is only worth as much as some other person or entity will pay for it. That is that is how cost functions. In that regard, asking what a human life is worth is kind of perfunctory because that value will never be the same across one from one person to another the, uh, you, you could it's the same as literally anything i have an overwatch statue right to you shahir i probably couldn't sell that to you for more than like a dollar <laughs> like because you don't give a shit but like a fan who knows about it would be like oh my god like th- this thing's a thing I, you know this much money or whatever that's the same i know i'm really making it simple <laughs> for this point but like that also has to do with the value human beings have to one another you we have value you and i shahir have value to each other because we have a connection and because we've been friends for a long time and because we know each other and we kind of for the most part i think understand how each other thinks and we can (laughs) kind of we we have a we have a symbiosis in a way based on our relationship for this podcast and friendship etc um but like my value like if i had to gun to my head put a price tag on your life the number would not be the same as uh, our friend Brandon, mm. as your wife, <laughs> as anybody else, like it would not be equivalent. Right. So th- what I found interesting was much less like, oh, the like, because I truly believe philosophically the worth question isn't important. It's what it's what the it's what it's what, it's when you take a group of eight thousand or nine thousand people, can you 
take all the varying worths of all the varying people to all of the people connected to them and algorithmically make a mathematical equation to make a number to make everyone happy. Spoiler alert, you can't. So like it but it but that the exercise that Ken Feinberg tried to do in this film and again, I don't know how accurate it is to um to real life. Um was a was a was a kind of a sunk cost fallacy, right? Like he kind of went in expecting this to be easy, and then when it wasn't, he kept doubling down and tripling down because that was the path he went on. Um, whereas it seemed like this is where my problem with the film came in. They went like two thirds of their time for the deadline, mm-hmm. and then due to finally he accidentally interviewed an actual person himself, he had a change of heart, and then directed his team to do individual. And personalized uh, equa- uh, evaluations of people based on need and whatever. And like, which said to me like, so you basically, due to hubris, crunched your entire team for a year and a half to get now have to do a thing they could have done easily in two years in four months. Like, because it wasn't like, at least this movie didn't present the individual way as as it was difficult because of the time crunch. But had they had the entire two years or in some change to do it, it would have been much easier. So it would, the, the, the interesting part to me was his sort of or, or what I found what I was surprised at was that there was the sort of two thirds turn in the character. And maybe that's what happened in real life. Hmm. Um, it just it. It was nice to see, but in especially in, in 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 the in the work culture, even before this podcast, we were talking about how much we're working and we can't really stop. It's sort of like the crunch culture in general. When I had like the the sudden change of heart based on one boss person's uh, finally accidental human connection experience, I had a little bit of a moment of like, oh fuck you! <laughs> like you could have managed this so much better if you weren't obsessed with the idea that you could actually. Uh, use cold math to solve a very warm flesh problem, uh, and and this is and I will I will now posit that entire thing under the thing of of course if you do believe in the way mathematics works there is a way you could do this but we don't have the complex processing power in order to actually do it mathematically <laughs> currently at our disposal no and this is really the 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 dialectic in the film between Feinberg and Wolf and mm-hmm. and you know reality aside about how those two characters actually interacted with each other by the way uh, Charles Wolf's uh, website fixthefun.com is still up and you can still read it and still yeah. um, it does sound very uh, angry loner uh, you know like um, uh, complaining about things, but you know, like, and whether his role in in changing in the way Feinberg executed the fund is uh, is is as uh, big as it actually is in real life uh, is is uh, is up for debate. But essentially, what the film's dialectic suggests is that there is an indignity to the idea of assigning a number. And what yes, Feinberg does do that. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. That that's what his character really is sitting out to to prove is that the problem with the fund isn't fundamentally the way that it's administered, even though that is that does present problems uh, with equivalency, like the idea that a CEO, uh, Feinberg does the math at one point and figures out that a CEO is worth $3.4 million and a janitor is worth $300,000. Um, it's the idea that the fund fundamentally strips away the dignity of a human life by assigning it a monetary value. And that, to me, is... Uh, an impermeable question that is impossible to answer, um, but one that, like, the way our society kind of operates under. And I think, you know, there's there's sort of 
interesting moments where that that conversation is really being bounced around. You know, Feinberg, I think it's in a meeting between Feinberg and Wolf, where Feinberg says, look, money isn't how we value a person, but money allows us to move forward. It, it, money doesn't just mean money. It means groceries on the table. It means moving on. It means not having to think about these problems. And, and I think that is where the idea of the question that this film is positing is interesting. When the film becomes a sort of, can we make it to 80% and sort of revels in the triumph of having done that, I find that the film loses its philosophical question for me in a like and I and I don't find from that point forward that what the film is trying to posit about Feinberg's revelation that every human being deserves dignity and all that sort of jazz actually functions in a way that that I think is what makes this film interesting. Um and it made me think a little bit about the uh, although I will say this was also a case where at the end of this film where, uh, you know, it does the typical biopic sort of or tr based on a true story sort of function, which is that it tells you the sort of ongoing story and yep. white, you know, black, white text on black. I think for me, there was a real, perhaps, perhaps not intentional, uh, but a real sting in the tail when it started listing off the amount, the different funds that Feinberg has been involved in um, and the way in which essentially all of these funds point to this idea that despite the worst tragedy happening to some people, we do measure life and dignity in monetary value. Yeah. And I think that is an interesting, like, like to me that, 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 you know, like we saw them, they basically, uh, at the end of it, they, they, there's so many funds listed off. Some of them are the, um, the, uh, the Sandy Hook massacre, for example, mm -hmm. is in there as a fund that was administered for that. And I started thinking about uh, an article I read in the New York times a few years ago about, um, this, this odd phenomenon in, uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and any other country that the United States is involved in called condolence payments payments and condolence payments are uh, a real phenomenon and something I just I'd never considered before but whenever the United States or the Afghanistani government is involved in an attack where somebody uh, is killed um, the Afghanistani government and, and the United States government will step in and offer condolence payments is a way to as a way to deflect from um, the actual harm that they have caused um, so, for example, uh, in this New York Times article, and by the way, you can go to civilianzinconflict.org to find uh, how this actually how this payment system has actually worked out. And, and fundamentally, one of the really interesting things is that it absolves the U.S. government of actual of actually uh, taking blame yeah. for having killed a human life, um, even though they're paying for it. Yeah, because so here's Which is such an odd <laughs> flip flop. It, it, uh, here's an example: uh, a child was killed as she played in April 26. The military paid two and a half thousand dollars to the parents of a four year old gold in Samara, Iraq, uh, who said uh, she had been killed one year early by American gunfire as she played in her front yards. Her parents said that the American forces on foot patrol and in a Humvee opened fire on the street to clear a traffic jam. They said their daughter was killed when one of the bullets ricocheted off the wall and hit her. And documents obtained by the ACLU military officers said the claim from April two, in 2005 was too old to verify, but they authorized a condolence payment anyway. So they essentially just said, okay, we don't know if that's true or not, but you know, here you go. Here's two and a half grand. Um, in Haditha, when uh, United States Marines killed 24 civilians, including men, women, and children, and an elderly man in a wheelchair. The uh, Marine Corps authorized uh, $38,000 in cash uh, to families to to families of 15 of the 24 victims. And 
And I think that this idea that there is basically a widespread practice to absolve blame and responsibility, but instead allocate those damages as a collateral, a collateral economic value mm-hmm. is such a, like, there's a part of me that goes, man, human beings are fucked up. Like, like, and, well, and, yeah, and, I mean, and that's and, kind and, of the thing. And right? that's, and that's the thing about the movie that I think perhaps this idea of the triumph of 80% that I, you know, I, I kind of felt didn't work misses is the sort of failure of humanity in this sense to understand that, that the money payment, you know, it's pointed out in this film as well that the money payment was essentially set up so that airlines wouldn't go bankrupt and and potentially tank the U.S. economy. Um, and in the case of you know Afghani condolence payments, it's also set up that that, that these are essentially uh, there's this interesting article which which stated the fact that that these were begun in order to win favor uh, from Afghani uh, civilians who were getting similar payments from the Taliban. So essentially, we were just the United States government was just stepping in, going, "Oh, you guys down. are getting two and a half thousand. Here's another two and a half thousand for collateral damage." And all of this, especially that final list at the end of the movie, doesn't feel to me like a victory of Ken Feinberg, but more an acknowledgement of the fact that humanity and human dignity has started to, uh, has, ha, you know, has this monetary value. And that, it's interesting because that is in the, in the Journal of Ethics uh, that I read, that was essentially the argument that Bayless was making as well. Uh, Bayless kind of posits this idea that, you know, all human life has monetary value, even if we don't want to believe that it should. Well, uh, it does because m- monetary value is the blood in the economy's veins. That's and right. you can put the how much money you make in the, in or out of the economy is a, is essentially your value to the economy. It's like I said before, value is intrinsically something that has to have outside variables to actually function. Like the, and the way that the, this movie sort of posits, it's interesting. I I felt like the third act didn't quite land for the different reasons that I listed, but. I think what it was trying to do and what it, I think it might have failed a, a little bit at was trying to show like you're saying like, oh, the triumph of like it, it, the triumph of actually individually speaking with the people and dealing with their trauma with them in addition to paying the money wasn't enough because money is still being sort of mm. uh, moved as a transactional thing where I would actually kind of posit. If and I'm 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 guessing that let let's just say for the sake of argument that this is how history happened, right? Let's just say that this I don't know if it's correct. Let's say that this sort of went down something similar than this. The fact that Ken finally decides to actually realize that okay, f- calculating the value like we are stuck between a rock and a hard place. We have to give a number, but we can't just blindly go in because that's not the healing factor of this. If there is ever one, the healing factor is sitting down, talking to a person, figuring out who they lost, why they like, like, I like, and it wasn't like they started valuing things in their equation based off of the old economic value that they were dealing with before. It was, ah, yes, this person had, you know, this many children, but then also they were denied this thing here. Like they kind of went into the, the payments that they doled out were based on actual personal conversations and interactions that the, the loved ones could have with another human being. And that is where I think the value proposition, I'm not using that monetarily, I'm talking about the, the, mm. the morals of soul value, I don't know what, the, what, the, what you want to call that, but the emotional resonance 
and where the triumph actually happens, even though there is money involved on the side of it. Um, that's where I saw, like, the only triumph. But again, I do go back to it was one man's hubris that caused a bunch of people a ton of suffering that didn't need to happen until he accidentally helped someone and then he saw the light that his entire team was trying to say the entire time and then it was a real it was a real Scrooge story well uh, I mean but this is still um, kind of well old. it wasn't actually sorry just to say one thing Ken I don't think that Ken was trying to be a dick mm. I think he believed the character and maybe the man believed in what he was doing he believed this was right and he believed it was the way to get people money the quickest because in his mind he thought that was the important part at first right yeah, and I think, but this is all still underlined by the fact that that w Charles Wolf says this as well, and I and I guess when Wolf says the f the fund is fixed, I don't quite know what he means because yeah, that didn't really make sense. Yeah, because what because the, I think the thing that he's positing is essentially the sort of eternal question that this film is that this film should be asking, which is that the value of a human life goes beyond monetary value, and to suggest that, um, to suggest that it it can be equated and then also equated equivalently is sort of interesting because in, in, and I guess, you know, like if we took, took the sort of philosophical extraction of this question, um, what Ken Feinberg's economic analysis would suggest that if, if uh, uh, let's take uh, Nelson Mandela, if Nelson Mandela was in that building and happened to be walking through, you know, a retired Nelson Mandela uh, was walking through. <laughs> not that an early twenties Nelson Mandela. Not an early twenties. Well, perhaps no. Actually, actually, let's put it this way: an early twenties Nelson Mandela was Ooh, walking okay. through that building. Um, you know, just just happened to be passing through or something for whatever for whatever reason. Their value has much less worth than the CEO of a hedge fund that was in that building, in that economic analysis, and and that is. In American dollars. In American dollars, and that is that is the the problem with this question, which is that is that there is no real answer to this that works in monetary value, and there's and and um, there's a sort of interesting thing, which is that the trade off of America of human life uh, based upon economic value misses so much of the dignity of a human being, uh, and misses so much of of what makes a human being uh, compelling, interesting, and and I think underlying all of that is the suggestion that economic worth is the only worth that a person has, even if that economic worth um, or their ec economic contribution to the society can be, can't be counted in dollars. You know, like um, a person who paints a mo the, the most incredible painting uh, that does not make any money is not valued as much as Picasso, who was one of the most famous painters of all time. But then let me ask you this. Let's, <laughs> let's, let's go down the philosophical rabbit hole. Mm. What's the alternative for, like, if, if a tragedy strikes on U.S. soil that the government is responsible for, mm. what is the alternative? If now, now, there, now, there's a, uh, I will posit, of course you can say something along the lines of, Oh, well, like systematic change and making sure a thing works and greasing the wheels slows that down. And that's all true. But like, I don't know, like if if in fact the uh, a human being's life cannot be fully valued, which I think we're saying different things about it, but kind of agree with that in a in a in a weird roundabout different way. What's the alternative in that point? Well, I think Wolf himself says it in this point, which is that justice is the alternative right like uh there's either economic worth which absolves 
airlines from their responsibility. It absolves the idea that the U.S. government had a, had a, uh, could have prevented this from happening. It absolves the idea that 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 perhaps the economy, you, you know, like isn't the main underlying underlying value, and justice formally is. So you know, in the case of uh, the. Uh, Afghani uh, condolence payments, for example, where, you know, in Haditha, when people were killed directly responsible by mm-hmm. one one or two individuals, justice is the value that 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 makes that make sense. And I, I don't I don't know if a tragedy befell you or I, whether a monetary payment would you know, makes sense. Like, there's a, there's a character in this film which who who says she doesn't want the money until she realizes it can help other people, and and I think that's you know, like the way that question gets bounced around from person to person, I think is where the film is interesting. Yes, and I, I think agree. it's where the question is interesting. I think the interesting part too is let's let's take a look at the the whether this is the tricky part because I don't I'm not an economist so I don't know. The whole thing was the government was afraid that the lawsuits for the uh, airline industry would bankrupt them, and then that would cause the economy to crash, right. right? That was at least what they said. Yeah. Maybe there's, and probably tied into that, whether that's true or not, there's also a big business that wants to keep making a bunch of money, rich get richer, yada, 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 of course. Mm-hmm. But let's posit for a moment that they're correct. Let's posit for a moment that in the system that we have built, if that was to happen, it would crash our economy. Mm-hmm. That would, in turn, cause so much more suffering than what the alternative is. And the alternative is not good or pretty or fair. But it, it in this particular case, and again, I don't know if this is true. I highly doubt it personally, but I'm just sort of doing the sort of other, the alt side math. Yeah. Like, if, if, Insulting the dignity of 9,000 people while giving them inadequate money, monetary compensation to save the lives of a ton of people in the country is the equation. That's where it gets real fucking messy. And again, I don't think that's true. I don't I think it's much more complicated. And I always believe that it is it is the basically rich and corporations, etc. looking out for their own interests, because what we've learned in the past is people don't want to make the money they want to make all the money uh it is i believe wealth in fact at a, after a certain point is an actual um uh a, a mental disease like it is it is a it is something that is wrong with your brain when you keep wanting to consume i mean a, a, a less rich person that would be called hoarding and that's a behavior that is incredibly damaging to you and those around you uh but scrooge so- duck is totally fine <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, he has a silo. He can swim through it. He's yeah, a car- the, the, If you're a cartoon duck, you can swim through your money, then I'm, this doesn't count. Yeah. Uh, your nephews are adorable, by the way. But I, I think that's the point, is that that question, and also just even just the posit of the idea uh, of a... Like, what we have in this film is Tate Donovan basically playing the devil's advocate in this movie. Yeah, you want as, a drink? Yeah, and, and he's like, <laughs> who's essentially saying, look... It's unfair that you're capping the market salary of uh, high wealth individuals, and I will sue you if you don't raise that market cap. And that economic power is enough to sway Ken Freinberg's mind before the human value of a person whose life uh, meant something to somebody else. Because uh, and, and he's doing it even for all... This is where it's interesting, too. He's doing that or when he sort of caves and then doesn't, but when he first sort of like decides he can't like change yeah. anything... He's caving because he truly believes that if this fails and they don't get it, these people will not see money that they could possibly need to save their lives 
ever. Yeah, there's, like, a, there's a sort of administrative quality to the problem, which is that if it gets kicked into Congress for a review, it, that you know they said that no money will reach the table. But also, potentially, that the airlines will go bankrupt in the meantime because the airlines could be sued then. And I think the, pro- the problem is, is I don't have a, uh, a tangible answer to that question. Like, I don't think, and I don't think the film should have a tangible answer to that question, but I think the film should be interested in the question. And I think where the film derails itself to me is when it suggests that the, that, that the victory of signing, of of getting people involved in this, in the victim's compensation fund is the triumph of the movie. Is the victory. Which is, which I don't think it is. And which well, here's the thing. The movie presents it that way, but all the rules the movie said would say that that's kind of not true. But exactly. also, but this is the flip side. This is the totally weird part, and I'm so sorry to cut you off. If it did actually save the economy, then it is a win. Like, there's, it's it's a Russian nesting doll yeah. of, of cause and effect. And wouldn't it and, be but great the movie if there was a character in the film to make that argument compassionately for just to, just to set the dialectic correct sure. that that the economy matters you know like yeah. like like that 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 the value of doing what we have to do now as painful as it might be might be more valuable you know while stripping away the dignity of everything that happened might be more valuable than than the potential fallout but i don't think the film and i think that's the sort of interesting th- that to me is a broader question that i think the film could be about and would kind of and i'll just say it would have been incredible had it kind of fell down that sort of that path because and and the problem is is that that is a sort of um uh that is not a that is not the mode of uh success of this movie like sure i i think you know, like why I think a movie like Spotlight is so successful is that is that the victory of publishing the article for the main characters is not really a victory because it unveils the fact that there was systematic abuse that they themselves ignored. And that's why that film works so well is it's not actually about the sexual abuse. It's about the actual reporting of the sexual abuse, which uncovers it. And the fact that they weren't were able to do it for so long and finally did is not a victory. It's 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 sort of a testament to like where we are. And the final moments of that movie are them, real like getting a thousand phone calls, uh, realizing of you know like how many people have been affected by by this story or by this by the fact that this is being reported. And I think that's why that movie is successful because essentially it's saying that this isn't a victory. It's it's a really interesting uh, phenomenon of human life. I and, don't know. I, I do have to say, Spotlight sure did like Patton Patton. Writers, I, I re- patent writers on the back. I really I like, don't think it did. I I, yeah. I think that I think that's a uh, a real misreading of that film. I do. Here's here's what I will say. I have not watched Spotlight in a very long time, and I'd probably to to maintain my level of vitriol, I should probably watch it again to I, make sure yeah. that I'm not having an alt read. I I have watched it uh, at least once or twice a year at this point, um, and and that is just not the re- that is not what is happening in that movie uh, at all. And uh, I, and, I, and I I I. I remember different <laughs> memory and and then i think you know and i think the interesting thing here is that it it really is just this misstep of 
where of of success and failure in this movie and and what the film measures as success versus failure and it you know it, when when charles wolf says the fund is fixed i was like i yeah like you said i was like what are you talking about like what has what has changed in this equation that made this fixed well the, i mean i can here's the thing i i think that's a little too Black. I think the whole point is that it's not as black and white as that sort of thing. I, I don't know. It does seem perfunctory when he says it, but he yeah. does it, I think, to basically make sure that the big air lo- like the big people don't win. Like that's kind of how I took it. The, it, it is fixed, quote unquote, because it is no longer a one size fits all mm-hmm. uh, equation for the value of a human life. Instead, the impossible task of valuing a human life is now being done by people talking to the people who valued those people the most. Like that's kind of, and again, it is not a clean win and it is not whatever, but it in, in the impossible task of doing what they had to do, that I think he saw as a victory because as he said, it wasn't even about the money. It was about sort of acknowledging people as people actually having loss and hopefully eventually justice. The justice thing, of course, is the side that I don't think got fixed quite at all. Right. Um, here's the thing I will say. Uh, And I think our conversation for about 50 minutes about this movie has sort of uh, cemented this. This isn't, this is a, I would say this is a good movie. It's fine. I enjoyed watching it. I have problems with it, whatever. What it does, and why I was really excited to do this episode, and I'm glad we sort of went this way for this long, is that it does open up a lot of interesting conversations. This is one of those films that for me is, it's, it's, its value, its worth, dare I say, see, I did it again, mm-hmm. is the conversation after the film. It's not It's not exactly what the film is showing us, and that's not a discredit to any people who worked on it or the craft of it or, like, whatever, but the story structure and the way it sort of goes kind of has some parts that took the wind out of the sails for me. But, but I, again, have never seen a movie talk about this sort of thing before in this way, and while I think it is flawed and I agree, like the like victory of it feels weird, mm-hmm. um, I'm kind of glad it exists because then it got me thinking about an aspect of human nature and society that I had not thought of before. And I can like when balancing all the things about a movie, if it can do that for me. I actually lean it more in the win column than the loss. If I want to put, uh, you know, a, yeah, yeah, a, a I, and, and I 100% agree with that, which is that I actually think it's a very good movie. It's a very, very, very good movie, and I like it. Like I said at the beginning, I like the fact that we sat down to watch a very grown-up movie right. about uh, a very difficult topic. I think there are, for me personally, there's a couple of missteps in what the movie thinks uh it should be about but that's not to say that the topic itself is not fascinating and worth discussion like oh yeah i think and i think the fact that there is a movie that is tackling this topic uh you know it's a difficult thing to do at all um and and to do as well as it does i think is really wonderful and i think you know uh to to, to sort of to, on the sort of uh tertiary level of film criticism that has to do with um, I guess you would call it syntactic qualities of the film itself. Mm. I think this film is a, is a great success, and I think really it it is a it is something to be really uh, proud of for for everyone involved. Um, you know, and I think this <laughs> just just on a on a really uh, baseline level, I think this sort of Michael Keaton as aged wise man, uh, you know, in this field, I like between this. 
Spotlight and um, uh, the founder. Uh, three, I still need to see the founder. The founder is really good. I, I, I like I, the first time I watched it. I was like, I, I think it's pretty good. It's kind of interesting. Then like, like I found myself like a year later going, I really kind of want to watch that again and kind of give it another sh- and give it another shake. And I really enjoyed it a second time around as well. Nice. Um, I, I think you know, like all of that stuff really, really lands me. And I do like that the conversation around this has very little to do with the actual <laughs> tactile functionality of this as a movie and has to do with like the questions that we are being posed to ask, particularly in a city that we both live in where we see this. And, and again, you know, posing it against things like the, the Afghan condolence payments or the U S uh, condolence payments, uh, the idea of like, how would you value a child's life in the wake of Sandy hook? Um, you know, like, like th- that to me, that little, that I, I again, I, I will chalk it to being intentional, but the idea at the end of the film, when when there are all these different funds, to me poses a greater problem that we're having, which is that it wasn't just this one-off situation where we were trying right. to allocate loss. It happens over and over and over and over again, and we, you know, like um, I, I remember um, Andrew Dominic's film "Killing Them Softly" with Brad Pitt at the very end of the movie saying. Uh, America is not a country. It's a fucking business. Now pay me. Um, and there's a part of me that the cynical part of me that I think, you know, like a more biting version of this film would suggest is true, particularly in that end, which is that, if, you know, like as far as American culture kind of uh, sees the value of a human life, there is a monetary value to it. And there's a hard monetary value. And if you're the CEO of a country, your monetary value is much, much, much higher than the janitor of, the, of that same building. Because, uh, again, value comes from outside sources. Value comes from outside sources. Also, value comes from the economic forces that are putting pressure on you. So, Which is the you, outside if, source. <laughs> if, you're a, if you're in a generational uh, cycle of poverty, then your value is intrinsically based upon where you live as opposed yeah. to the things because that you do and the dignity that you have as a human being. They're literally going going they're literally going off of uh the mathematical probabilities of what value you can bring to an economy exactly uh, and so and, and, yeah and, and i think a more biting version of this film would really look at that as not a win and not a kind of uh, a victory in any sense of the word i do kind of wish yeah i do kind of wish if they wanted that and like they went for there and they like did that at the end i wish it was about if it was true again about actually saving the economy and and showing that like yeah a bunch of people are still not happy and this is not a good thing but it's the only thing we could do with the broken ass fuck system we have like uh, it's, that would have been yeah good. it's kind of interesting to think about um uh you know we a movie reviewed earlier this year no sudden move where uh uh, a cameo by a very famous actor kind of posits the idea that there is a, a hidden undercurrent to the flow of the economy that uh, people are certainly powerless to affect. And that um, that monologue from that cameo from that actor, without giving out any spoilers, re- really reminds me of a monologue from um, Network, where a character basically says that there is an underlying current to human activity that is really driven by commerce. And that is what matters the most. And whether you... You know, whether you think uh, human beings are have dignity or not, as Immanuel Kant says, uh, is irrelevant because we have decided to put a price on human life. And your human life is not worth as much as another person's human life. And I I'll think pot- that to me, I and maybe it's just that I'm a cynical person and that's why I look at that cynically. But, but I think that 
to like there is something about this idea of positing victory for this fund that defies what I think is the reality of life <laughs> in, sure. in, in the economic environment that we live in. I think by definition of you believing that all humans have dignity, I think you're not the cynical one here. I'm cynical because I don't believe that this film, uh, well, I believe that there is a detrimental side to that and that we we are living in a world which ultimately has decided, and, and I'm part of that world, and I and I participate in that world. There is no yeah. ethical consumption within capitalism. Yeah, there's friend. no ethical consumption, and I am and I am very much part of a. Con- I am contributing to a world which has demeaned human life, uh, and continues to demean human life. And I think I and, would, and, and uh, I, and, oh, hmm. you know, and I think that's um, that's a really. Um, that's a real biting way to do this and not certainly something that maybe a movie that wants to put butts in seats <laughs> is going to necessarily do. <laughs> but that's kind of the way I see the world, <laughs> you know? Listen, uh, I, and then then there's the, I mean, here's here's the thing. Uh, I, I, I like it when you or people sort of ha- like, how do I put this? Every, I'll say this. Every human being has the ability or the the capacity for decency. Mm. (laughs) Um, I think we've seen a lot lately, be it leaders in charge fucking people over, being it irresponsible folks not taking care of their fellow human being around a global pandemic. Uh, There's there's there are people that are choosing choosing the path less dignified and and. That's getting me, this probably is getting too heavy for the end of the episode, but that's getting me to sort of lean away from like the intrinsic like beauty, dignity, and value of all human life. Yeah. I feel like there is a, there is a, every everyone has that spark and that ability and that, and that, um, that capacity for that. But the the de- the the worst demons of a lot of people are showing their true colors these days. And I, I don't even think it's it's. Uh, I, I don't even think there is. You even need to look at intentionality. I think you know the fact that we're talking on the uh, to each other over devices that are being created uh, oh, at yeah. the expense of human. We dignity. are the problem as well, my friend. No, a hundred percent. You know, like, and we're we're not doing that intentionally, but we are part of an economic system that has decided that we. Uh, that that values um, certain human life over others. The system is not our fault, but we are in it and pieces of it. It's the yeah. same. It's the same shit about global warming. Let's get <laughs> fucking real, okay? Yes, we should all recycle. Yes, we should try to be less wasteful. Those are all things that every individual should do, and I try to do it, and it, you know, it, it, as as best as I possibly can. But the truth is, none of that's gonna move a fucking needle if industry doesn't follow suit. And the biggest lie that we've been told in that sort of shit is like, oh, you got to do your part and ship in and da-da-da-da-da, and that'll fix it while while the actual real true problems are not fixing the thing. So it's the same It's the same feeling in that regard of no ethical, no truly um, ethical consumption within capitalism because the, the very idea of people wanting all the money <laughs> will inevitably trickle down to hurt more people than get all the money. Anyway. And it, but uh, but regardless of all of that, <laughs> it's a great I, I do think whatever your qualms are, whatever you the whichever way you look at this as a, as sort of a human experience, it is a very worthwhile film 
to at least open the conversation to explore that idea. Like whether it does it to success or not is, is another thing. Yeah. Uh, I, I mentioned this earlier, the Paul Schrader article that, uh, that I, I was talking about uh, at the beginning of this episode that I kind of wanted to bring up, uh, which was just, again, just that feeling I had of like sitting down to watch a grown up movie, but also wondering why that grown up movie wasn't the, uh, wasn't seen as the as the important movie of the week or the sure. important thing that I should be watching or even thinking about. And and we're talking about a movie, by the way. We're not talking about actually changing the world or like or or doing anything of value. We're talking about a thing that happened in two thousand one. <laughs> yeah, we're just talking about a movie, a, a, a movie version of that. Um, but Paul Schrader was kind of asked about, uh, you know, like his conversation. You know, Paul Schrader is a longtime collaborator of Martin Scorsese. You know, they wrote Taxi Driver, which he directed, uh, which uh, Scorsese directed, and you know, he was he was was asked uh, in this GQ article, you know, whether he agreed with Scorsese's comments about Marvel movies being cinema or not and what have you. And he said, and he kind of answers with, look, no, they're, they're absolutely cinema. Um, but the problem, what, what's what's changed is that we, society has entirely moved away from certain kinds of movies versus other kinds of movies. And Schrader goes on to say, and, and this is important because of that question of like finding this movie and why I love doing this podcast, which is that we can have a full, you know, detailed conversation about this movie that I don't think a lot of people are aware of and and it's a ma- it's let's be honest it's a completely mainstream movie it's, there's nothing uh, abstract or art house or anything about it. this is a very mainstream studio run of the mill easily digestible movie um, and sure and Schrader says it's not that the filmmakers just changed it's the that the audience have changed yeah. and when audiences don't want serious movies it's very very hard to make one when they do when they ask you what should I, should I think about for women's liberation gay rights racial situations economic equality and the audience is particularly interested in hearing about those issues well then you can make those movies and we have particularly in the 50s and 60s and 70s we're making one or two of them a week on social issues and they were financially successful because audiences wanted them mm-hmm. then something changed in the culture the center dropped out. These movies are still being made, but they're not the center of a conversation anymore. And that's that's the truth about this movie, which, again, I think is a very straightforward, easily digestible film. But it's not. It, but because of the culture we live in right now, it is nowhere near the center of the culture at, at any point. Uh, it feels almost like a fringe movie, uh, despite the fact that it's you know. If any, I think I I would not have a hard time recommending this to anybody to watch. Like I no, think a but, movie that we discussed last week, uh, much more or a couple of weeks ago, The Green Knight is a much more abstract movie. Oh yeah. Um, than than Worth, and that movie has a more central focus in society and culture because it is about the sort of. Uh, adventurehood and systematic, you know, uh, storytelling about the hero's journey and that sort of thing than something like this. I mean, uh, here's the problem with mainstream is the stream changes courses. Like, that's just what it is. Like, this movie, it's funny, you, you're like, this movie is not a mainstream movie. It's not anymore. It's, it's not. It's a, yeah. co- it's a competently made film that is easily understandable by a person who watches it, but that's not what mainstream is anymore. Mm. Like... Like, which is weird, but that's the truth. Like, like this style just isn't that, and that goes back to the to the uh, you know the the Marty conversation or whatever. Like, and I, I I get the frustration. I get frustrated when people don't resonate with the things that I want people to resonate with. No no question. And 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 then you can put different worths or values on on actual societal. Uh, what people can learn or glean or whatever. Like, for instance, we had a much more today substantive conversation about actual real-world things for this movie than we did 
about Almost any Suicide movie. Squad. Yeah. <laughs> Almost right. any movie talk we talk about. Right, like I know we've got some good ones on here. We've we've <laughs> done we've done some other things like this. Anyway. Uh, I, I enjoyed. Uh, I have enjoyed this conversation more than I enjoyed the movie. Not to say the movie's bad. You should watch it. It's on Netflix. I think you would. Uh, you'll get something from it. That is something I could. I could actually truly say. Oddly, I would say I. I had problems with the movie, but I wholeheartedly recommend it to everybody and anybody. Yeah. Um, I. I had. I had essentially. Uh, semantic problems with the movie, as it, you know, um, but but I would fu- I fundamentally think that the movie is a success and works very well, and I want to see more movies. I, I mean, I always want to see more movies like this. I want to be compelled to watch things out of out of what I think the comfort zone of of mainstream culture is at, yeah. the, at the time. Why um, not? Because there are interesting things being made, and 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 this is a uh, uh, one you may have to dig for. From the comfort of your couch, you'll have to type five <laughs> letters. You'll have to type five letters instead of just the two. Yeah, uh, this has been the only podcast about the film worth. Shahir, when you are not busy calculating mine, where can folks find you? Apparently, I've if I just carry the one plus two here multiplied by three, it's still five bucks. Unfortunately, www.shahirdoubt.com. That's S H A H I R D U D. It's a hard earned five bucks, by the way. I can see that's you. Fair. I see that's you fair. like complaining, but that you know, like. That's a Big Mac, and that yeah. means a lot to me. Sure. <laughs> Matt, when you are uh, determining the existential crisis of American cinema, where can people find you? You can find me paying someone else to figure that out with the 500 pennies my ghost <laughs> paid to get that value on my life over at my website, <laughs> M-A-T-T-H-E-W-K-R-O-L.com for my life and works. Also, Skeletor, the number four, P-R-E-Z on Instagram, or P-S-N. Uh, and of course, Emperor MSK on Twitter. Also, please check out the good works we are doing over at Extra Credits. By the time this releases, oh boy, what will be out? We'll be almost done with our Rasputin series. We'll have, ooh, if you haven't watched the latest Extra Credits episode, the video game show, Extra Credits, it will have been out, I believe, the Wednesday before this drops. I did an off-the-cuff episode, here. I leaned on podcasting roots, okay. and I just talked about a thing as opposed to writing a script, and then we edited it down, of course, but it, I have game footage. I talked about the cultural divergence moment of the Ariana Grande concert in Fortnite and how, hmm. weirdly, it was actually one of the most transcendent gaming experiences I think I've ever had, and I did not see that coming. Huh. Um, so check that out. I, I and, and if you didn't like it, let me know, too. If you liked it, let me know. And if you didn't like it, let me know. Because, I don't know, I enjoyed doing it. And if people resonate with it, I'll do more. But if people don't like it, then fuck it. We're going back to the formula. Look at you. You talk radio over here. Yeah. You're anyway. The next, you're the next Joe Rogan. Look at you go. <laughs> oh, no, no. I'm going to... I'm gonna. <laughs> I, I, there's so many things I could say, and I'm not gonna. Um, we're gonna talk at you next week, probably about a film, but maybe some more esoteric life uh, questions just yeah. m- rolled in there. Let's just uh, turn this to the only podcast about philosophy. That maybe. Yeah. Well, I mean, with the Matrix uh, Resurrection coming out soon, man, that that trailer, that trailer, or the announcement of the trailer hit right during me and Patrick's. There's a moment where he cuts me off, and he goes, "Oh my god!" <laughs> like the trailer's coming out. There we go into a little bit about the Matrix. Uh, the website, Shahir, have you been? Uh, what I is know the that they've resurrected the. Uh, the red pill, blue pill, uh, make your choice website. But uh, without that, even beforehand, and I don't know if I haven't tried it again, but there's a VO like thing where it's like, it is now 1121. 
you da 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 and it's like the right time like yeah. it, it it's and i was just i don't know i was i'm blown away by little things that are so simple to do with an algorithm <laughs> but i'm like ooh, i'm in it anyway i'm excited about that that'll mm -hmm. be fun maybe one thing in terms of about. life imitating art that I, I've never, I, I've, I've not in any way wanted to tweet this or talk about this or anything, but I was just reminded with the fact that New York had a lot of flash flooding uh, in the last couple of weeks, how prescient a film like Parasite was. Oh, yeah. And, and it's in poor taste to sort of talk about it in those terms because people died in those floods in New York. Uh, but people I People probably died in, in the floods where they were as well. But, but I, yeah. I just, I was really thinking about how prescient that movie really, really was. And, uh, um, you know, like it's a great, just remember how great it was when Parasite won Best Picture. Just remember yeah. that moment. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. hey, remember that moment until next week, uh, and we'll talk to you then. Bye, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.